Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 48th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that rings in the new year with a little cross-border arbitrage. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some uh, notably valuable information with you guys tonight. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, happy holidays, brother, and uh, what's on our agenda this week? Oh, you too. You too. Forgot about that. Uh, All right. So this week, we uh, have a show in three pieces. Uh, The first is our top movers. A lot of cards. A lot of cards bumping this week, so we'll be looking at that. Segment two is our card swatch. These are cards that uh, James and I have identified as uh, cards that should be seeing an increase in price. James has some particularly spicy ones out there for you guys this week. Uh, And segment three will be our topic of the week. We'll touch briefly on the Aether Revolt inventions that were spoiled um, and maybe a little bit of Frontier. So let's go ahead and jump right in at the start of segment one, our top movers. Uh, first card on the list this week, Eldrazi Displacer, uh, the foil from Oath of the Gatewatch up from about 13 to 20 I'm Looking at TCG Player right now, the cheapest copy is $16, uh, and then it goes up pretty quickly from there. Um, so this looks like it's, and then there's only, uh, what, like 15 copies, 20 copies total on TCG Player right now. So uh, Eldrazi Displacer, Foils, finally, you know, moved to 20. I, I think, I don't know how many shows ago it was. I didn't look that I called this at 10. Uh, and here we are at 20, not too much longer later. So, uh, you know, if you were smarter than I was, uh, you would have bought some of these and you'd be looking at a tidy little profit. Yeah. So this was your pick eight weeks ago. And how many copies did you buy? One. I bought one. Because uh, <laughs> I told you guys to buy it at 10. I'm like, I should grab some of those. I should grab some of those. Then I forgot, and I forgot, and I forgot. And then they were $14. So do, do, do as we say, not as we do, folks. Yeah. <sighs> Feels good. Feels real good. <laughs> All right. So next on the agenda, uh, one of my picks from a few weeks back has made a major move um, as part of the Frontier hype train. Um, Jace Friend's Prodigy from Origins has moved from, in the last week, from 30 to 45, but over the last two weeks, um, since we last reported on movement, it's actually moved up from 20 to 45. Um, so that's uh, uh, over 100% gain for those of you that got in at 17 when I first called it uh, a few months ago. Um, this is just the, the, the playing out of um, the frontier speculatory action. Um, I suspect that uh, this and the other frontier specs that are on our sheet this week um, are 95% being purchased by uh, frontier speculators and not frontier players at this point. Um, although Jace had, you know, one of the testing grounds for whether a price is going to uh, stay true is um, whether or not the um, the price people are actually paying for the card matches what it's being posted at. 
And Jay's Friends Prodigy um, is actually selling at $40 um, on TCG Player. So it leads me to believe that um, we're not quite done with the hype train and there may be some uh, additional upward momentum. Certainly, if you got in anywhere near 20, um, you can feel very comfortable to get out on your copies now. I would do it slow and steady so as not to spook the market. Um, definitely Frontier has a long way to go in all of these Frontier specs. Um, you should not be ashamed to get in and get out because the format has yet to prove itself as a long-term uh, format, a format that people are committed to. Um, and like Tiny Leaders before it, um, you can easily get caught uh, behind the eight ball if you wait too long to try to get out. Yeah, this was a card that, you know, everyone for the longest time said, hey, when this is under $20, probably time to start looking at it. You know, I don't think anyone expected it to move as quickly as it did. Uh, but here we are, you know, and thanks to the Frontier hype, um, showing that the last sold copy on TCG Player was at 50. There, The lowest listing is now at 40, 41. So it's, it's come down since the last copy was sold, but uh, the price is still up there. Um, the gap is closed on foils pretty considerably, too. And if you look now, there's a couple cheap foils, and then it, it jumps pretty rapidly. So I would not be surprised to see the low end of the foils kind of rebound up a little bit as well. Yeah, so I'm pretty happy that just just between the first two uh, cards here, Displacer and, and Jace, we've made everybody some money if you guys got in at the right times. So uh, hopefully uh, that uh, turned out well for everybody and you got to put that money into your Christmas stockings. The uh, next two on the agenda are also Frontier Hype Specs. Uh, Hangerback Walker and Anna of the Foremost have both made a move. Um, Hangerback Walker um, is just a really great mid-range card in Frontier that can fit into almost any deck that that wants to be gumming up the ground early and to have uh, potentially have a threat later in the game. Um, it's moved from two dollars and seventy-five cents to four dollars for about a buck twenty-five. Going to be hard to make money on that yet. Um, uh, but on paper, it's a 45% gain. And Offense of the Foremost is is going to be a centerpiece mythic in any of the Abzan decks that are popular in the format. It's made a move from $1.50 to $2.50. That's another, a dollar gain or 67%. But again, you're going to have trouble getting out and making any money on that. So uh, you're probably going to have to wait a little while to see if it shows additional upward momentum. Of the two, I'm going to definitely say that I prefer the mythics. Uh, across the board uh, for Frontier purposes over the rares. Um, uh, although I will say that Hangerback Walker's ability to fit into multiple decks uh, and in any color deck um, is definitely a plus um, over Anathens' tricolor requirements. Yeah, the rares certainly concern me. Um, you know, given the volume of supply, I'm right there with you. Mythics generally is, is where I would turn, be turning my attention. But again... Uh, hanger back walker was so prevalent in standard uh, although you know with a format more spread out like you would expect frontier to be rather than standard um i don't think that cards that were necessarily that dominant in standard would be as such um in a slightly larger format uh, okay anyways next up is mana matrix from legends we are looking at ten dollars to seventeen dollars this is a reserve list card it is right wait is it reserve list I thought it was reserve list. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, it is. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, 10 to 17, um, just a buyout. Reserve list buyout. I mean, there's not really not really much else to say at this point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the there's a few different cards on the list this week that are kind of tier four, um, you know, collector cards um, that are really just being uh bought out because people assume that people are going to want to finish these sets at some point 
and that the people that need to finish the sets are going to be forced to pay whatever the market price is if there's only two or three copies available anywhere. Um, and, you know, we're going to see that as a repeating pattern out ad infinitum until they run out of targets. Uh, yeah. Yep. That, exactly. Um, yeah. So next up is Narcomiba from Future Sight. Uh, we're looking at the foils specifically in this case. They jumped from 15 to 30 here. Um, yeah, there are, no, there are no copies under 30 right now on TTG Player. Uh, it's about, this is a good double up. Uh, you know, it's Dredge. You know, Dredge has become, rapidly become a firm tier one staple in modern. And it was not there, uh, what, you know, before Shadows of Over Innistrad, so not that long ago. Um, and I don't expect that to change until they ban. I don't know, Golgar, Grave Troll, or whatever it is they're planning on getting rid of. But uh, yeah, Narcomweba Future Sight Foils moved. And we just, I feel like we just talked about one of these not that long ago, didn't we? Didn't one of yeah, us talk it, about I think it was the, the Modern Masters version that we were looking at before. Okay. I remember mentioning it out loud. But, uh, so there you go. Started the move. Right. So next on list, we got the one of the other... Uh, old school collector uh, buyouts. Um, I don't mean old school magic because nobody's playing this card, but Urza's meter from Antiquities moved from 16 to 38. That's $22 gain, 137% roughly, um, if you can ever sell a copy, because um, I think that these are going to be, these are the kind of specs that make sense if you are able, a well-funded um, operator that can afford to sit on your money for a while. Um, if you buy, you know, five or ten copies of these to clean out TCG, you're probably going to spend the next two years trying to out them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Same thing as the other one, uh, as a Monomatrix. Okay. Moving on. Uh, expropriate from uh, got a conspiracy. Take the throne. We are take looking the, at the take the take the crown. Take the crown. Sorry. Yeah. Conspiracy. Take the conspiracy. Take the conspiracy. Uh, foil from take conspiracy 30 to 75. Um, so a pre- pretty hefty, pretty hefty jump there. Looks like it's something of a, uh, of a buyout. Uh, the market price is still showing at 30. Um, if I look over at the last sold copy on TCG player, the foils at like 33. Um, so we haven't seen any move at 75 yet, but there's only, two that have been listed and it got bought out a couple days ago uh, and it's still at 75. So I don't know if the supply really exists to drag the price on this back down. Uh, you know, conspiracy kind of got overshadowed this summer as, as you know, a lot of people kind of predicted it would. And um, this is a huge, extremely powerful card in EDH. Uh, and I think a couple people decided 30 bucks was too cheap for this foil and decided to change the price. Uh, and if the supply isn't there to change it, um, then that's kind of where it's going to be now. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, that mythic foils from sets that aren't as opened as much as they might have been, um, including, con- uh, you know, both versions of Conspiracy, can generate huge spikes relatively soon after the release of the product. Um, expropriates a sorcery for 7 and 2 blue that has Council's Dilemma, starting with you, each player votes for time or money. For each time vote, take an extra turn, and for each money vote, choose a permanent owned by the voter and gain control of it. So either every player at the table gives you a turn, so let's say it's split roughly roughly 50-50, two guys give you two turns and two guys give you their best, uh, give you a permanent, uh, uh, oh, you choose it. So you choose t- the two two best permanents from two people and get two turns from the other two. I mean, that's just bonkers, Cakes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's uh, really powerful. 
So, I mean, definitely something that people want, might want to be looking at is what other mythic foils from that set haven't popped off yet that have a decent chance of doing so on the back of EDH demand since uh, common theme here, and it's going to be part of our Cards to Watch uh, segment as well, is that EDH is really moving the needle. Yeah, yeah, you know, we talked about that last week too, how EDH is just has proven to be such an uh, impactful format this year. And uh, I mean, this is also true of the next card on the list, a Johnny Steadfast out of M15. This is the Planeswalker who has the ability to give all your other Planeswalkers additional loyalty. Um, one of the only cards in the entire game that can do that. Um, hence the movement on the card from 16 to 40 when people realized that M15 Mythics didn't run all that deep online. Um, that's a $24 gain or 150% and largely on the back of speculation related to Atraxa Super Friends cards and EDH. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can build Atraxa, but one of the more popular ones is to assemble a bunch of great planeswalkers in those colors. That is everything but red, I believe. Um, and you might want to keep an eye out for the uh, San Diego Comic-Con edition black foils of Ajani. There are still a few floating around out there in and around the same price point as the regular copies uh, of Ajani. Um, sorry, uh, of the foil copies of M foil M15 copies that are now up at 40, you can get the black foil copy in and around 40 to 45 if you can track it down. So it might be w worth a little peek at your local shop. Um, and it also may be a reason to get in on a cheap uh, set of the San Diego Comic-Con planes, black planeswalkers, if you can track one of those down um, based on the, uh, the premise that this card may continue to move upward uh, in the black foil version once the remaining handful of copies dries up online. Mm-hmm. It'll be I'm kind of wondering uh what the black copy could do. I don't think we've seen any of the SDCC walkers really have life after their printing, um after their life in standard, but mostly because like not not that the black copies were bad, but just the planeswalkers themselves didn't see a lot of play outside of those standard formats. So if a Johnny is the first one to really do that, uh, I mean I guess there's Jace, but he's so much newer. Um, what was it? Wait, was it Johnny the same set? No, but Johnny was one prior. So uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see what the black price can do uh, if the card's actually popular. There's a total of six, ten, just a bit under 20 copies, but the price ranges from 40 to 80 um, and pretty quickly gets up over 50 and into the 65 to 70 range in the, in the mid to high priced copies. So, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see this settle in somewhere north of 60, maybe even as high as 80. Um, and there's, you know, Time Vault Games is selling a copy for less than three copies, less than 40 tonight. If somebody wants to go track them down, I bought a few on eBay the other day. Uh, I'm good for now, but maybe one of you guys will decide to take the plunge. <laughs> All right. So next on our list is Alliance of Arms from Commander, the first Commander. Um Price went from two to five dollars. Uh, so this is a one mana sorcery, uh, but it's a joint forces card, so you can all pay a bunch of mana and get a bunch of one one soldier tokens. Um, I mean, it's a single printing card from Commander, so it's it's old. There's not a lot of them around, which is definitely how the price has gotten to where it is. Although why it's gotten to where it is, I am not perfectly clear on. I don't see. Any reason why, I mean, any reason that this would move today as opposed to any other week this year? Um, if you know more, 
than we do. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any extra insight onto this, James? No, I think this is the. There are is a whole class of speculators that are just trolling TCG, looking to cross-reference cards that occasionally see play against low inventory. Um, it's pretty clear to me that this goes on on a regular basis, based on what we've seen all year. And mm-hmm. this thing has you know one copy left. It was it was probably a thing where you know a rare from Commander 2013 is akin to. Uh, more or less a masterpiece from um, current releases and you know somebody just said hey there's six copies of this left it's going to cost me twelve dollars to pick them up and maybe i'll flip them later for five bucks let's see how it goes yeah yeah i suppose it's hard to hard to really miss too much there uh in those scenarios um but you know are you actually going to profit on it Uh, who knows um okay what's next for us well, next on the agenda, we have Braids Conjurer Adept Foils uh, and EDH spec. Uh, this is from Planar Chaos, so quite an old set, you know, 10 or 15 years old. Um, and the foils were sitting in and around uh, $10, $12, $15, depending on where you were looking, and are now being posted as high as 100 on TCG, but there's still some $45 copies left on eBay. So let's just say it moved from 12 to 45 for a $33 gain. Um, 275% uh, increase. How fast you can move these, I don't know. The card is certainly played in EDH, but it's not a high priority for most players. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure if this is uh, Brea speculation um, on the basis that this lets you put uh, artifacts, creatures, or lands from your hand into play at the beginning of each player's upkeep um, or something else is going on, but um, very few foil copies left lying around. Um, and who knows if it can hold this plateau in the seventy to hundred dollar range? But I would say it's fair to say that it probably will hold in the forty to fifty dollar range, um, and that's still a nice gain if you had any of these tucked away in a binder somewhere. Yeah, I was looking at this, and I could also not place my finger on what specifically this was uh, being driven up by. Um, I wonder if it's just a just a powerful effect, and somebody decided to take a move on it. Hard to say. Hard to say. Um, okay. Uh, last card uh, this week is Yudwin Efri uh, from Arabian Nights. Um, started at 11. It's up to 48, supposedly. There are no near mint copies on TCG Player. Looks like the last sold copy was at 15. Um, this is pretty clearly another one of those buyouts. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a coin-flipping card. It's a 3-6 for 3 red. If you choose to block with the Efreet, you flip a coin immediately. After defense is announced, um, opponent calls head or tails. If the flip ends up in the opponent's favor, Yedwin Efreet cannot block. So it's a 3-6 for, th- for 3 that has a 50-50 chance of not blocking when it intends to. Um, no one's playing the card. This is just people, as we said earlier, going down the list of cards that are on the reserve list that cannot be reprinted. Um, that people might need to fill out collections and just knocking them down. I mean, my father was filling out his beta collection last week, buying a, up a bunch of random con- commons. So those the people are out there to drive um, the future sales for these buyouts. But as we said, it's gonna you know it's a slow drip process. Your dad's weird. He's trying to finish beta and alpha this year, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's move on to segment two, our cards to watch. James, I know you've got some spicy numbers for us this week, so why don't you go ahead and uh, get us started? Sure. So a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about cross-border arbitrage, um, specifically in Japan and in Europe, 
Um, and it got me thinking about trying to put together a little project to try to tease out that theory into a reality. Um, so one of the things I was looking at was whether some of the masterpieces from Kaladesh um, were doing any better in terms of their price movement than the expeditions were this time last year. And lo and behold, they're not really doing any better. I mean, the the expeditions were kind of spiked within the first couple of months as everybody assumed they were going to be massive long-term specs and then started slowly falling down on a downward cycle. And they've been in that, they've evened out as of about late summer, um, but spent many months in, in decline and, and show no, no signs of uh, uh, any reversal. So I was looking to see if that trend was also happening with the masterpieces. It seems like for the most part it is. Um, but I was specifically paying attention to the uh, four of play sets for modern things like Ethervile. Uh, and Steel Overseer that uh, I had advised people to be looking at if they were looking at masterpieces to be trying to focus on these modern cards. But then I started thinking about how we've been talking uh, about how EDH is increasingly moving the needle and how we've seen more and more specs uh, pop off on the basis of EDH speculation, and many of them have managed to hold their price. So I decided to cross-reference the available prices of the EDH staples against the modern staples and found that uh, across the board, the modern staples are definitely priced higher uh, in the U.S. Um, and when I looked at Japan, the prices were pretty much the same. But when I looked at Europe, specifically on MagicCardMarket.eu, um, there was a rather dramatic difference between the EDH staple prices uh, for the Masterpiece cards um, versus the U.S. and, and a much greater gap, um, though one still existed, uh, versus the four of playsets that would be relevant and modern. So if all, that all sounded confusing, let me clarify. Um, for instance, Masterpiece Soul Rings are generally available in the $115 to $120 range in the U.S. right now. You can buy them on TCG Player, you can buy them on eBay, all sorts of different places. Um, and some copies are posted as high as $140 or $150, and I think that we can assume that eventually the card will get back to that price. But over on Magic Card Market in Europe, um, copies are available as low as seventy—the equivalent of seventy dollars US. Um, one of the factors that's in play here is that the U.S. exchange rate, which used to be as high as a dollar sixty US per euro, is now down to a dollar five per euro, um, which is a large part of what is enabling all of this. And so. If a soul ring is 120 now and you might be able to sell it for 150 later, but you can pick it up for 70 plus some overseas shipping, um, you know, you could be making $50 plus per copy. Now, to figure out if this was a good idea or not, the next thing I did was cross-reference against available inventory for these cards on TCG Player. And, and as it turns out, soul ring is down to just 30 copies, which is very low for, an, uh, you know, even though the masterpieces obviously are, are ultra mythics, um, it's a lot lower than we saw most of the expeditions, which leads me to believe that the EDH demand for the masterpieces uh, actually exceeds the demand for uh, a lot of the expeditions. Part of that might be that the expedition's price point for things like Scalding Tarn and Polluted Delta was in the two to $300 range, and that there are just far fewer buyers willing to jump in on a playset um, uh, of those cards at those prices than there are EDH players that are willing to spend 50 to 100 to acquire something. 
So Soul Ring is a good one. The other one that was on my list was Mana Crypt. It's a little less exciting than Soul Ring, but you can still get copies in the $75 range in Europe and uh, in theory sell them here for $115 for, say, a $30 to $40 gain per copy. And there's about 51 copies left on TCG, so it won't take too long for those to drain out. Uh, and then the other one I was looking at was Chromatic Lantern, um, which is a big EDH staple and is already relatively cheap in the U.S., somewhere in the you know $55 to $60 range, probably likely later to be an $80 card or so. And, but in Europe, you can get them as low as $28, um, which is very compelling because it's essentially a built-in double-up even if you just import and then flip at current pricing. Um, if you account for future growth, it gets really exciting. So some total, the percentage returns just at current pricing, um, executing arbitrage between Europe and the U.S. seems to be somewhere between 60 and 120 percent, um, with additional upside down the road if the inventory in the U.S. dries up and the price moves up. Yeah, this is really wild. You, When you first told me about this, as we sat down to start to cast, I like... It didn't not believe you, but it just seemed like there. I'm like, there's got to be, it's got to be a hook here, right? Like, why is this? Uh, but no, I mean, it, it seems to check out. You know, the prices are definitely showing up. Is that cheap? Um, you know, if you're, you live in Europe, this is, there's our easy pickup. Uh, excuse me. Then you just have to try and figure out how to get rid of them. If you're in America, like we are, then you just have to try and figure out how to get them. If you're in Canada, uh, who cares? Um, <coughs> but, uh, it does seem like an excellent opportunity. I guess this is a lot like um, back when the Japanese market was a little less familiar to people and you could go to uh, Japanese websites and just find cards for 10% of their American value. And you're like, how are these here? Uh, which isn't necessarily the case these days anymore. But, um, you know, maybe Europe is the kind of the next frontier for this type of this type of behavior. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, <laughs> you could pay for your entire MTG price subscription with one of these. Exactly. Um, and this is the point I made on Twitter um, to doubt, doubt, d- both excited and doubtful comments uh, this afternoon. Um, but I think that if you guys are regular listeners, you'll be pretty pleased with how this turns out. Now, um, I should, a couple of points. Definitely a couple of years ago in Japan, uh, similar opportunities existed and mostly around English cards because English cards are looked down upon in Japan. Um, lately, I think that a lot of uh, English speculators have realized uh, uh, or over the last couple of years, more and more speculators have realized that this was the case and are driving the price up, back up on a lot of English staples. And so they've, they've pretty much equalized with U.S. prices for the most part. The only time I really buy things in Japan is if I think a card is undervalued at the gate um, or, or falls really low for long-term purposes um, and becomes a you know penny stock or whatever. The, in Europe, the, um, I think that where some of this is coming from is that EDH is nowhere near as popular in Europe um, as it is in the U.S., um, uh, real estate is significantly more expensive in a lot of European communities, uh, especially in urban centers and big play spaces to support EDH groups uh, vis-a-vis LGSs um, is going to be less common. Uh, a lot of people I talked to in Europe said that their LGS doesn't even sell singles. Um, a lot of that happens online or via vendors at big GPs and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of factors that are in play. Now, there is one caveat to all of this. You can't just log on to magiccardmarket.eu and you know slam dunk a, a shopping cart because the problem is you have to have an address in Europe to be able to use that site. So it's like TCG Player, um, but you have to be European to use the site um, due to arcane uh, European Union um, economic laws. So uh, here's what you need to do. You need to reach out to somebody in Europe that you know through social channels. And if you're in MTG Finance and you're not networking, then you're not doing it right. 
Um, if you need help with this, you can reach out to us because we definitely have a few leads that we've been generating because we've already bit off a chunk of this stuff. Trust us. Um, I, I submitted orders to both the UK and Spain today to get things sent in from Italy, Austria, uh, and France. Um, and I expect that those packages will be passed along to me in the next couple of weeks. Um, so if loyal listeners want to get in on this, we'd be happy to give you a couple of tips. But uh, what you should really be doing is reaching out and building your own contact somewhere in Europe that you can reciprocate with so that when they want you to do a little favor for them on, uh, you know, stateside, um, you can hit them back. And um, when you're looking at the pricing on MCM, remember that you do need to account for shipping, which is significantly more expensive on that site than we're used to in the U.S., um, most uh, shipments are going to be two to five euro, which is a uh, plus five percent if you're looking at US dollars. Um, so you definitely want to be bundling stuff together. Uh, vendors that have multiple copies of the card you're after are certainly more prefer- are, are are preferred, even if they're a dollar or two more per card. Um, and then you've got to negotiate with your contact to get them to um, you know put together a package and send it over for you and you got to decide you know how much you want to spend on shipping to have tracking and so forth generally i use regular mail and just roll the dice because that's the kind of risk taker i am um uh but you may want to consider you know having your contact hold you know small packages of cards that you acquire over four six eight twelve weeks and then eventually pull them back in when you know it's time to sell um, the other thing that you can offer your contact is that they may want to come along for the ride. You know, maybe they didn't know about this hot spec um, or didn't have, you know, they, they were aware of the price differential, but didn't have anywhere to out their cards because they couldn't sell easily overseas uh, in North America. So maybe what you want to do is offer that they can buy a couple copies too, send them along with yours. You'll sell them for them um, as your reciprocation effort, and then you can just PayPal them the money back. That seems like the most likely uh, relationship to work out, you know, you're probably not going to be in the market to dump thousands of dollars on these types of cards. You know, you, you might only be able to stomach a couple copies or maybe you don't, you don't kind of trust the other guy to spend more than, you know, $200, $300 or what have you. Uh, but then, you know, he can be in the same situation. So he can essentially double the order, send them to you, you sell them all, and then you guys kind of split the profit. So, um, you know, that it, it's nice that this is a relationship that seems like it can benefit both sides rather than pestering people to do you a favor. Yeah, I mean, what kicked this off for me was we <laughs> randomly scratched a, a lotto ticket that was in our stocking at Christmas and I won $5,000. Um, so I immediately decided that some of that was going to go into uh, specs of interest. This is going to, so I put about 500 into the, the masterpieces in Europe. Um, that I think are going to work out pretty well. And I'm now I'm looking at power because uh, the first few stabs I took at looking at power prices, specifically things like Beta Power 9 and Alpha Power 9 on MCM, um, there are some very attractive prices once I started doing the math. So maybe we'll talk about that in a future segment. I'm a little surprised by that because uh, a lot of our power went over to Europe um, you know, between five and 10 years ago. So I, I guess, I guess it makes sense to supply is much higher over there, but the des- demand for it is also much higher as I understand it. I, I think it's really just boils down to the fact that five, to 10 years ago, the Euro was much higher against the dollar. And so it made sense that they were sucking uh, expensive cards out because they the euros went so much further when they were buying stateside. Um, and also export policies tend to be much looser coming out of the U S but the you know now the the tables have turned and the euro is weak against the dollar. You got Trump in the White House and um, you know it, it it probably only gets better for the next year or so. Yeah, yeah. So you know I think it's interesting here um, 
to make note of of how you kind of stumble upon this is some of the best opportunities that I have ever found um, just come from kind of poking around and going, yeah, I wonder what the price on this is and kind of taking a look um, and just exploring. And then that kind of leads you down another path and you check this and suddenly you're looking at cards that are way cheaper than you thought they would be. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're only listening to us, you're you'll be ahead of the curve, but you're never really gonna find anything on your own, um, which are like kind of where the best opportunities are. Uh, ideally, you know, it'd be some combination of listening to us, but also kind of ex- you know keeping your eye out for this type of thing. Um, you know, well, I mean, on, on your on your end. The reality is that you got to do your research broadly. Um, MTG Price is a great research. We have lots of great people. If you you know you want EDH specs, look at Jason's articles. Jason Holt is ahead of the curve most of the time on that. This is it is his specialty. You know, Cliff is checking out Puka Trade for deals on a regular basis. But you know, the guys over at Quiet Speculation and on Goldfish are also doing good work. Um, and uh, you got to pay attention to everybody. Um, Chaz over on SCG, um, make it a habit to read the relevant articles that are that you know from people that you know have made you money in the past and put together your kind of research docket for the week where you're going to spend an hour or two getting up to speed so that you can put your money to work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay uh, a couple other cards to talk about this week real quick um you know we saw braids conjure adept foils jump pretty hard this week uh the non-foils are in the three dollar range um, there aren't a tremendous amount of these left. Uh, there's only about a page or so on TCG Player. There's a handful on Sarsid and a few other sites. So um, there is some supply there, but this is also a card that I think a lot of players are, are somewhere between unaware of and don't own a copy. Um, and it, sometimes you see the foils on cards like this go first because the supply is much lower, and then the non-foils kind of tag along for the ride as other as people realize they should be picking copies of this up so uh you know i, I can't give you a time frame on this one probably mid mid-ish to long but um it does seem like the non-foils of braids will start to uh to tick up maybe to catch the foils over the short term midterm yep that's entirely possible um what, what were the frontier cards that we were talking about that we thought might make a move uh, if the speculation tr- hype train continues yeah, there were two that, that you uh, that you and I were chatting about. Uh, the first is Goblin Rabble Master. Uh, tons of copies of this available right now uh, at about two two fifty ish range. Um, but you know, this is a type of card that you know, earlier we commented that we like the mythics quite a bit more than the rares, uh, with some exceptions. But Rabble Master was such a major force during standard and is so generically good. Um, in decks that wanted to attack that I think this is possibly one of those exceptions. Uh, he's, he uh, definitely shows up in a lot of the red decks in the format, whether they're mono red or not. Um, so, you know, at two fifty, there's a lot of, there's a lot of supply out there, but uh, you know, we can see this climb into the $6 range. So at the very least, if I'm out trading, I would take copies of this uh, where I could. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, all, all of the red decks are going to be playing Rabble Master. Um, there's at least three or four different shells, completely different shells. There's red, like a Tarka red, like Balls to the Wall aggro. There's more of a Goblin shell. There's Mardu Dragons decks. Um, and the the card just gets more and more exciting and efficient as more relevant Goblins are added to the format. And if we've seen anything over the last five to ten years is that Goblins is one of the core tribes that Wizards is committed to continuing to print on a regular basis. It's not going to be like the rando dwarves in Kaladesh that you're not going to see again for five to ten years. Um, you know, you're going to see Goblins shortly. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if you'd see this show up again alongside Perforos or something in the format. Make a dude every turn, shock him, get some additional damage. Uh, no Perforos because Theros is locked out of the, uh, the format, uh, which continuously confuses me. Uh, well, yeah. when they print the Theros gods in Amoncat, they'll add them to Frontier, <laughs> right? That's how that works. So... Uh, collected company because it's got modern shops at ten dollars. I love it. There's already copies posted at fifteen to twenty, and so soaking up some collected companies at ten is just a no-brainer. Even if you don't believe Frontier is a real thing, Frontier gives you some gravy there. Um, the card is so powerful, and it's got that lovely open-ended synergy that I'm always looking for in specs. It's already made me money twice before. I won't be surprised if it makes me money again. Um, I'm only currently holding foils, I believe, but I think it's time to take a look at a few playsets of non-foils. Mm, pardon me can't stop yawning tonight um yeah collected company extremely powerful a little quiet and modern these days just because of how fast the format has gotten but i don't anticipate that to be permanent um and when modern slows back down uh, i mean the speed of the format not the popularity slows back down i believe that collected company will resurface again in a in a pretty big way um so you know you've already got a strong that's that's good in a major format and you know could get to to catch a ride on the the frontier hype train for as valuable as that is um so uh, i'm pretty comfortable with these at 10 uh barring any uh any unexpected reprints it seems like it should be pretty safe from it um so i guess i'm not too worried about it yeah, I don't think we see it till Modern Masters 2019, and in the meantime, it's got so many different ways it could potentially spike. That, and and the inventory is relatively low. I think we looked at this earlier and discovered that Collected Company only had like 86 results, so maybe there's 150, 160 copies left on TCG. I mean, that's not a shallow pool, um, but it's something that it, it's not much different than where Jace was two months ago. Let's put it that way. Right. And, you know, 160 copies sounds like a lot, but that's, what, 40 players worth of decks? Uh, or, that's not very many. Yeah, and when, I, when I'm when i going on a speculative... Like, when I bought Jace's, I bought mm, three or four playsets once and then three or four playsets again. So when the speculators get involved, um, playsets drive up pretty quick. Um, and, you know, no one's opening this product. The, the reality in the Magic world right now is with how fast product is being released... Um, once it's a year old, no one's opening the product anymore. Right, right. Okay, uh, so those are our two first major segments. Let's finish up the week. Uh, let's talk about these Aether Revolt inventions. Oh, yeah. um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that I think everyone was expecting to see. I was uh, pretty pleased to see Ornithopter show up. Um, uh, other than that, pretty stock, I think, I guess, in the sense that we, we were pretty confident we knew what we were getting. Although we got two... A spoiled cards from Aether Revolt. So these are invent, uh, artifacts that have not been printed before that are for the first time being printed in Aether Revolt. We just saw the invention copy of those. Those are Paradox Engine and Planar Bridge. Paradox Engine, um, I think is the more interesting of the two, is a five mana legendary artifact that whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. Um, I know you were talking a little bit about that one earlier. Uh, and then Planar Bridge is, an, is a legendary artifact. Six to put in the play. Eight and turn it sideways. Search your library for a permanent and put it into play. So it's a, it's a slightly stronger, uh, was it Planar Portal, I think, was the old one. Um, but that Paradox Engine is certainly interesting. 
Five is five is just like ah, it's just pushing the edge of playability in modern, but that's a strong ability. Back in the day, this would have been a three casting cost artifact, and it would have led to an extremely broken deck, and yeah. then it would have got a banned, and then it later would have been used in EDH. You can tell because they deliberately chose five, which is kind of like that hardly any it would have to be crazy broken to get played at five in modern um and the fact that it's a legendary artifact when it had there's nothing legendary about it um you know it it looks like a generic machine um but in testing they said oh yeah this is bonkers you can never let we, we can't let people put four of these on the battlefield and standard and modern or or things will just get a, a two out of control so um planar bridge and paradox engine are quite clearly targeted at uh, EDH and casual, um, where they are likely to be beloved. I expect the prices on them to start relatively high because people are going to start publishing all sorts of stuff about the different crazy things you can do with them in EDH where you have so many options. Um, and then later, I think they're going to be part of the EDH package that I'm going to be checking over in Europe to see if there are further arbitrage opportunities um, on the following cards. Planar Bridge, Paradox Engine for sure, although hype may keep them uh, higher for longer. Duplicant is certainly worth taking a look at down the road. Um, Oblivion Stone, uh, see some play in EDH, but isn't a big deal. But certainly the Staff of Domination, which looks like it's going to be lovely. Um, Vedalkin, Vedalkin Shackles and Worm Coil Engine, as well as Platinum Angel, all look like big winners um, for the EDH scene that may, may provide some tasty European arbitrage. We'll see how it looks in a few months. Yeah, there's some cool-looking cards in here. I think the two swords are are better than the old ones. This I was looking at the staff, too, as, uh, as being pretty cool. Um, duplicate, very nifty. Uh, all of them, are, you know, but the Chalice of the Void and the Engineered Explosives, man, those are... Those are potentially going to be the aether vial of yeah. this set, oh, yeah, um, you yeah. know, because you so frequently play so many of those, um, and they look pretty cool too. So these, you know, if these come out, I, I I'm not sure where the opportunity is to make money on these, but uh, I do see the possibility of some pretty dramatic price swings. But people may have learned more from last time. Yeah, I mean, if we're using a card like Ether Vial as an example of what's likely to happen, and keep in mind that there's going to be less Aether Revolt opened than there is Kaladesh, um, because pretty soon after the release of Aether Revolt, we're all right on into uh, Amonkhet spoilers, and it's right after Christmas, so there's you know a lot less money gets spent in the first three weeks of January than than is available you know in most people's wallets in early October, um, and so that makes me say think that. Yeah, it's definitely not something you want to jump in on right away. You want to wait a couple of months until we're at peak supply and the prices have fallen off 30 or 40%. Um, but at that point, the long-term holds for modern are certainly Arcbound Ravager because the Affinity deck has more masterpieces available to it than any other deck in modern. And so more of those players are going to be looking at, you know, tricking their deck out with, I think it's now 16 cards because between Ravager, Steel Overseer, Ornithopter, and what am I missing? Is that the only? Uh, they only have twelve. Arcbound Ravager, Ornithopter, Steel Overseer, Mox Opal. Ah, that's the other one I was missing. Yeah, so that's the sixteen. I mean, I expect. I I think all that package of cards is now uh, a big spec because uh, it's going to be any affinity deck that isn't tricked out like that is going to be lame. Yeah, bunch of idiots. Idiots Playing don't want to spend all that extra money for no infinity. 
<laughs> so yeah, definitely Arcman Ravager, Chalice of the Void, um, Engineered Explosives and Ensnaring Bridge uh, are probably tier two in that regard because specific decks need to be doing well. Engineered Explosives is mostly a sideboard card and Ensnaring Bridge is uh, mostly about lan- Lantern Control being good in the format. Um, without that, it doesn't really have a, a lot of play. Is Ensnaring Bridge a big EDH rec card? I well, I, I haven't looked it up. I don't think it's too big of a deal. Um, I mean, maybe some play. Although I'm, I, I'm not. In, Engineered Explosives is a really popular card in Modern. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like it's like obstinate Bailoth. It's not like a huge part of any deck, but every green deck runs that card. And Engineered Explosives is again. It's like not every you know, no one's not many people are running four, but there's a lot of copies out there spread across the. Well, and it's, it's actually more important now than it's been in a long time because being able to kill like one casting cost things for three mana um, and and kill multiple of them and potentially re- uh, remove uh, artifacts that are attached to them um, is the thing right now uh, because right. of how fat, you know, Death, Shadow, Aggro and in, in fact being so popular and, and dominant forces in, in the format um explosives is definitely at a peak so i I expect that one to but it's rarely played as a four of usually it's two or three copies max and so that definitely holds it back a little bit um some of these cards have never been available in foil before so grindstone um for uh legacy vintage players uh in pairing with um painter servant right um and that's the first foil ever and it's a gorgeous foil i mean the art's fantastic um and then sp- and Sphere of Resistance, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Sphere of Resistance was Exodus. Yeah, uh, or Stronghold or something. Yeah, Exodus. Uh, Exodus. Exodus, and that's the only printing. Uh, Meekstone, I believe. Uh, no, never mind. That was in 7th edition. Um, Trinisphere. Yeah, it looks like those are the only... Just Grindstone, then, I think. Black, so, I mean, yeah, because Black Voice had the other, the which one call it printing. So Sun, Sundering Titan is a little mystifying because yes, of course, this has been a big deal card in the past, but it's banned in EDH. So I don't know who's playing this card. Yeah, I could see them on banning this in EDH, but I don't know, maybe not. Doesn't seem that big of a deal but uh, i mean i think pe- people were talking about ornithopter being a feel bad i i don't think so i think actually those are going to sell briskly um i think sundering titan is the feel bad card to open because th- there's just no format where you're going to end up playing that yeah i mean the the ftv copies five dollars like six bucks just not many people need them um i guess sundering titan you can sell it to people who have cubes because he's in a lot of cubes sure that's true there, uh, there could be some some latent cube demand um Something like Meekstone is probably not in very high demand anywhere. Um, no, that one's going to be so. kind of a feel bad. Black Vice is one of the most powerful artifacts ever printed. It's completely busted in the right format, um, but it's banned in everywhere. So uh, didn't they? Did they not unban this in Legacy? Yeah, they unbanned this in Legacy. But but there's no deck playing it, so there's still no demand. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, do you notice the extra planar lens is Amonkhet? Like, if you look at the yeah, art yeah. in Extra Planar Lens, you can see the Nicol Bolas horns from Amonkhet. <laughs> Things you don't want to see when you're looking through Extra Planar portals. Yeah. Nicol Bolas yeah. staring back at you. Yeah. It's uh, it's the shot, like the horns from the, like the major splash from the Amonkhet, the, the landscape, building scape type of thing. Um, 
All right. So do you want to touch uh, – we'll touch on Frontier really quick. Um, you know, you've played it. You've been a fan of it. You've enjoyed the format. I haven't had a chance to sit down with it yet. I am uh, fairly skeptical as far as this format goes. But, you know, we've, we talked about like four or five cards this week that really reacted to this – to the, all of this hype. Uh, I, I'm not convinced it's more – than people trying to get excited about it and trying to make it a thing. I guess there's stores registering on MTG Frontier to kind of to to run tournaments. So uh, what's your take on all this? So my my position is still that it's too early um, to be investing in the format, despite the fact that Jace just made me a bunch of money. Um, Jace, I, I stand by the fact that Jace was, like Collected Company, a modern spec that had Frontier backend. And okay, it paid off. That's great. But I would have been happy to sit on $20 Jaces for a year or two if I had to for modern um, or just, you know, general casual demand um, for the cards that are only played in Frontier, like, uh, you know, Anafenza, the foremost that was on our list of, of spiking cards this week or Hangerback Walker. The reality is that the amount that they've spiked isn't going to make anybody any money at this point. And so if you're holding, you know, 60 copies of Hangerback Walker, you really need that card to get up into the like eight to $10 range before you're going to be very happy about your purchases. And yes, Jace is holding his price, um, but that's because he's got other, you know, he, he's a multi-format staple. A lot of these other cards are not. And as with Tiny Leaders before it, it's it will be possible to get left holding the bag on a lot of these specs, um, even the ones that we've already seen pop off. Um, the reality is that most, we, we can very easily build a flowchart of the events that have led us to this point. People start playing a format. People start talking about the format on social media. People start tweeting about the format. People start hating on the format. People start writing articles to prove that the hate is incorrect and publishing deck lists as results from tournaments. Pros and, and key writers at key sites decide that they don't want to be look like they're behind the time. So they start talking about it on their podcast. They start publishing articles about it. Pretty much every site has now done an article. There was a new one today on Star City Games. And every time an article gets, an article gets published, you see a corresponding number of copies disappear on TCG Player. Um, because for every 20 people that read an article, somebody's going to get the bright idea that they're going to go out and, and, and speculate. Um, some of us were, you know, ahead of the train. Some people are going to get on later. There's people talking about Jace going to a hundred that probably don't know what they're talking about. Um, and so again, I, I think that you want to, you need to understand that if you're going to speculate on frontier, it is true speculation you're not you're not just speculating on a card doing well in a format you're now speculating on how many people are going to play that format and for how long um you're you're hoping that the format doesn't get solved really quickly you're hoping that tournament support expands to you know a hundred plus more lgs's over the next couple of months you're hoping that channel fireball and star city games announce that they're going to put on side tournaments um, you're hoping that uh, an article about Frontier makes it onto the Magic the Gathering mothership and signals that um, uh, Watsi is not uh, outright against the format, um, even if they're not going to make some product for it for a few years. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and derail your specs. And when we're handing you gift-wrapped, you know, presents like um, European arbitrage on on masterpieces, there's no reason to be going deep on these long shots um you know despite the kind of returns that they might provide when you can get solid real dollar um targets that will put cash in hand inside 30 days if you play your cards right yeah i i'm 
I, I am similarly very hesitant to be too close to Frontier at this point. It just feels like it's more about people wanting to be excited and trying to, to convince themselves and others that it's real rather than a, a true grassroots campaign to be good. Uh, I mean, it hasn't tiny leaders yet, uh, but I, I, I don't know. You know, people made money on Jace. You did well, but like, has any, you know... I know that the store owners are happy to be selling copies of Manus Riders, but it just feels like the level of excitement about in about this format is much uh, greater than the number of games actually being played. There's no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of the speculation copies went to speculators and not players. Um, yeah. Part of that is that a lot of the players already have the cards. That's one of the reasons the format is popular. Um and it's important to remember that my enthusiasm for the format has always been as a player, not a speculator thus far. Um, the The format is good. Um, it's much more diverse than people give it credit for. It is not just like standard three years ago. It is the combination of a few different standards, and that's enough to make it different. Um, and because there are so many um, powerful interactive cards that came out of those formats that work well together and boast synergies that you haven't seen or played with before... Um, I believe the format has legs Um, and you just need to keep an eye on how broadly it spreads. Keep an eye on mtgfrontier.com, which is a a fledgling website run by some of the the guys I know here in Toronto who are all about the frontier and how, you know, they have the support of face-to-face games, which is not an inconsequential um, LGS to be associated with. Um, And from what I've heard, there are LGSs trying out the format all over North America. Um, it's only a couple of dozen right now. And what you really want to justify your specs is for that to expand to triple digit numbers. Um, and like I said, if S- you know, Star City Games or Channel Fireball announce some side events, um, that's also a big deal. Uh, if you want to try out the format, the easiest way is to play online via Magic Online or one of the Magic Online clones. Um, there are threads available on Reddit. I'll probably link to them in the show notes this week um, that are running tournaments. Some of them ha- even have prize support. Um, so you can throw together a deck, try it out, decide for yourself whether the thing has got legs, and then make your spec decisions accordingly. Yeah, yeah, your spec decisions on cards that there are bazillion copies of. <laughs> I mean, no, the, yeah. the, the, the funny thing is, though, like we were looking at Goblin Rabble Master, right, and talking about like it was a buy a box promo. There are um, 131 results for the card, so probably like 200 plus copies. But the, the thing is that. You, you, it's very. You'll be very hard pressed to find a card that say is two years old, that was a rare, that has more than that number of copies in stock. Because the, the reality is that when a card is in low demand, it's not on the buy list, or it's deprioritized on the buy list by them offering such a huge spread that um, you know nobody wants to sell it to them and they don't want to buy any anyway, and that's why they're offering such a low price. And so the amount of inventory that the industry will hold at any given time is capped and it's capped by natural demand. And so if all of a sudden that demand turns a corner, it it takes a long time for the, the dealers to recapture enough copies to um, feed that demand. And in doing so they contribute to the price spikes because they're buying while everybody else is buying because they're trying to get in ahead of the game. And so 
Um, one of the things I think is interesting is that it, even if hundreds of thousands of copies of you know an M15 rare are actually printed, you only ever see a couple thousand copies in total circulation worldwide. And it, it's very important to understand that that um, attrition rate between printed copies and available copies within the marketplace is really what allows for price spikes in the first place. If every Magic card was had an RFID chip in it and... TCG knew where it was at any given time and could send a message to its owner, the magic scene would be completely different. If <laughs> it, it, you know, you would see prices fall through the floor because all the people that have that are not participating in the market, and it's way more people than you think, um, that have cards sitting around in decks in their closet under their beds. We've talked about it before. Those cards are out of circulation and they don't count because it's not, it's so hard for the stores to recapture them even with aggressive buy list programs. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're not wrong. I agree with you on most of this. Um, you know, we talked about Goblin Rabble Master earlier is, is, is worth thinking about. So it's not like these cards are, are valueless. I don't know. I guess I am remaining skeptical at this point, but uh, I am willing to, willing to approach with caution, I guess. So, I mean, here, here's my summary about what to do with Frontier if you're interested in the MTG finance side of things. Map out what's getting played the most in the decks that are being posted. What is a cross-archetype uh, staple? So something like Rabble Master that can be played in three or four different decks is much more exciting to me than Anafenza, but Anafenza is a mythic. So you have to take all that into consideration. Make your little list of the your order of priority in which you want to target things based on how much they've already moved, how undervalued you think they are, et cetera. And then be willing, you know, have your funds ready and be willing to pull the trigger when you think the time is right, if the time is right. But again, there are, you know, we just handed you guys gift wrapped a, a bunch of specs on this episode that are significantly um, more likely to make you money and in a shorter period of time. So, you know, you got you still got to prioritize without getting too caught up in the hype train that everybody else is talking about. Right, right. I remember what I used to do is I would look at, you know, the top, 8, 16, usually the, the larger the better, 16 or 32 from a tournament. And uh, any cards that I was interested in, I would write them down. And I would add up the number of total copies across like yep. the top 16. And I'd be like, okay, well, there were, you know, in the top 32 here, there were 44 Goblin Rabble Masters and there are 43 of this and this type of thing. And it kind of gives you a feel for how prevalent it is. But you have to go greater than the top eight. It has to be as big as possible. And then you can kind of multiply for like if it's a mythic, you know, multiply the number by two or three or something like that because they're that much more rare or what have you. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's an excellent strategy. And it's something that we do in the MDG Price Pro Tour coverage at every Pro Tour, try to figure out how many copies of key cards are being played and what are their rarities. Um, it's a great approach. Um, it, you know, it's just the 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 reality is that you, you don't want to get caught holding a bunch of cards you can't unload. Um, and the smart money is often in the, the dark, dusty corners that nobody else is looking at. So mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that's, that's all we have to say on that. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's kind of bring this to a close this week. It is, it is holiday week for some people, not me. Uh, where can our listeners find you, James? As usual, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. All right. And again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I'm on the Cartel Riscrats webcast most Mondays. Um, you can also find my latest project, which is uh, scry.land, uh, a tool for finding all of the magic events in your any area or any area currently only servicing competitive events, but it is an active development updates each day. So take a look, scry.land.
Yeah, uh, Scry.land is a really great tool, folks. Uh, unaffiliated with MDG Price, it's one of Travis's projects, but uh, it's uh, a it's it's all value if you're trying to tr- keep track of all of the uh, qualification tournaments and so forth in your neighbor neck of the woods. So have a look at uh, Scry.land. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and we we built it because we as players felt it was lacking. We were lamenting for the longest time the ability to ever find a magic event. So finally, we did something about it. Yeah, and the site's free, right? Yes. Yep. Cool. So I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. And I'm pretty sure we made you guys that much money on this cast if you get your act in, in gear and move on Europe. Uh, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of possibly one of our more profitable episodes, James. Uh, I enjoyed our time together. Uh, Happy New Year, and I'll see you next week. Happy New Year to all of you, and we'll see you in 2017 on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.